me. Well, I am glad you're here this morning, and I hope you brought a Bible with you. And if you did, I hope you'll take it and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And no, we're not quite out of it yet, all right? We're going we're gonna to get a little bit further, but when we do, here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave one verse hanging. Just one, but that gives us a chance to come back and finish this chapter up in style in a couple of weeks, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, find verse 54. You know, while you're doing that and looking for that, I, I just want to share with you, I've, I've had so many people through the years who've become a part of our church or have attended our church, and, and they hear us talking about different things, and they say, well, what's this, what's that, how do y'all do this, how do y'all do that? One of those things that seems to arouse a lot of questions is the horseshoe ministry. And I know it was mentioned last week, and I had a couple of questions this week, and, and people asking, you know, what, do, what is this horseshoe ministry thing? It is a tremendous evangelistic outreach, folks. We have horseshoes, actually they're mule shoes, a little bit smaller than horseshoes, that have been ordered in, they're shipped to us, and on one side of them is stamped on one side of the shoe, John, and on the other side, 316. And we use those, those horseshoes as a hook. Now, I don't know how else to say it, but sometimes you have to get people's attention. We use it as a hook, and we invite people to let us share with them what John 3.16 means to us while we prepare a shoe for them and personalize it. And with a three-pound sledgehammer and some stamps, we stamp their name in the blank spot on the bottom of that, brush it up, spray paint it for them. It's prepared for them with their name on it and with a, a card that's attached to our church or another congregation, a tract that tells them how they can be saved. But while they are are having their shoe prepared, they're being presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, that sounds like you're, you're, you're tricking people. No, we're not. We tell them right up front that while we're preparing their shoe, we want them to listen to a brief presentation, and we allow someone to share with them, usually in a small group, uh, sometimes one-on-one. -on -one. And folks say, well, does it make a difference? God says that his word will not go forth and return to him void. Over the past two weekends, we were able to share the gospel and give away 990 horseshoes. That means 990 people heard a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a result of that, there were about 130 souls added to the kingdom of God. Now, folks, I don't know how you measure worth, but to me, it's worth that. And I, I you know... Sometimes we don't know how the seed functions. And I was thinking about this last night. But yesterday afternoon, one of our church members had the opportunity to share the gospel with a Muslim family. Now, sharing the gospel was one thing, but then standing there and letting them refute and share from the Koran was another. You say, well, you know, that didn't do any good. They've heard the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They heard the truth. And, you know, Dad was very respectful as he listened. Mom, in her head garb, very respectful. But I noticed something. One or two children. There was at least one there. Possibly two. Here's the reality. The truth was shared. And Mom and Dad may be so hardened in their hearts and hardened into their beliefs that it never has an impact on them. But that seed was sown into the minds and hearts of a couple of children. And who knows what God may do in the days to come. And so, folks, I, I just want to tell you something. There are multitudes of ways to get engaged in ministry. Don't let it pass you by. 
We are not saved to sit. We are saved to serve. And sometimes that means we have to find a way to get involved and be active. I want to challenge you. Look for ways. Look for opportunities, whether it's through children's ministry or student ministry or horseshoe ministry or whatever it might be, a music ministry, whatever it might be. Listen, we've got folks that come up here and sing that I'm amazed they can sing. I'm not going to name any names, but I'm just going to tell you, there was one gentleman standing up here singing this morning, and last night I was watching him almost die from trying to eat a spoonful of cinnamon. So I'm just going to tell you, you never know how God can take you and use you and do something in your life. So I just want to encourage you, find your place. Why? Because God loves us so much. And if you haven't figured that out, you're going to get it. Before we're done this morning, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, find verse 54. You know, whenever I was in my childhood, long before ESPN ever came along, I remember Saturday afternoons, my, my routine was to try to park everything in time to watch the wide world of sports. Some of y'all remember that, don't you? Jim McKay. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sports. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's wide world of sports. You know, I had to look up the words. I remember most of them, but I didn't have them in order. But you know, the one thing I've never forgotten was that dude on the ski ramp coming down. He's getting ready to launch himself to glory, and instead he falls off the side... Uh, You know, out of sports broadcasting like that have come so many great statements. I think it was on ABC's Wide World of Sports that I first heard this statement about a player or a team that they had snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Can I tell you something? Friends, that's what Jesus did for us. He snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Of defeat. And that's what Paul has been writing about all the way through this 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Let's read together this morning. Beginning at verse 54, we're going to read down through 57. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can, Will, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read together from our Father's inspired, holy, inerrant word. Paul writes and he says, Talking of the resurrection, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning that as we spend this time together, you send your spirit to speak to us, to teach us, to show us your way. Father, we we pray that in these brief moments, our hearts would be open, fertile soil, to receive the seed that you would sow into our minds and into our hearts. Father, I pray for us now, for struggling believers, that our faith would grow. For those overwhelmed with fear, that we would find courage in your grace. 
And for those who do not know you, that today your spirit might convict them and call them into your presence. Father, have your way in this time and place. But we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul wanted his readers to understand that when the resurrection takes place, when believers find themselves in a a new, glorious, resurrected body, it's over. The clock has run out on death and the grave. The contest is over. The game is won. The battle is concluded. I want us to look at these verses we read together. And I want us to just spend our time looking and understanding what it is that Paul is trying to communicate to us. So if you've got your Bible open, keep it open. We're going to stay right here. Go back with me and look at verses 54 and 55. Paul is writing about the resurrection. When the resurrection occurs, he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, When the mortal has been clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Here's what I want you to see first. That the resurrection will consume death. Consume it. Death and the grave are defeated enemies. Too many of us don't know that. You see, the power of death and the grave are wrapped up in the knowledge that we have that these bodies are dying. They are failing. Moment by moment, day by day, we are getting older, we are getting weaker, we are getting more fragile, we are growing frail, we battle against disease, we battle against illness, we battle against injury, and these bodies, the older they get, they just don't respond and repair themselves as quickly as they used to, huh? One day, these bodies will become non-functional for our purpose here. The thought, the understanding of humanity for so many centuries has been that when that occurs, this body will be placed in the grave. It will be swallowed up in death. And this body will perish. It will be corrupted. It will begin to decay. It will fail. But Paul writes and he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, The mortal with immortality, he's saying, look, you're going to lay this body down, but it's going to be remade, redressed, created into something new. This occurs at the resurrection. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death's victory is stolen away. Through the centuries before Christ arrived, Prior to his coming, prior to his death, prior to his resurrection, people thought that the death and the grave were unbeatable foes, an undefeatable enemy. That we were going to die and that was all there was. Didn't matter who, how brave you were, how courageous you were. Death and the grave struck fear into the bravest of hearts and to the, to the most courageous souls because there was no way to battle them. There was no way to cheat them. There was no way to defeat them and overcome them. But Paul wants us to understand something different. And that's the reason he wrote what he did. Not only are they defeated, they are beaten, they are swallowed up, they are destroyed. Not us, but death in the grave. In fact, I just want you to read, look at verse 55. And I want you to see... What Paul says here, 
Because I don't know whether you hear it or, or not, but you know what? When I read these words, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? You know what I hear? I hear a man who knows he has a beaten enemy and is taunting his enemy. Where is it? You think you're so big? You think you're so bad? Bring it. Where's, where's your victory? Where's your sting? What can you do to me? I am a child of the king, and he is risen, and he is seated at the right hand of glory, and he has promised me that I have life abundant and eternal in him. This body may cease to function, but it will be remade, resurrected, glorious, and new, and you can't touch that. Friends, this is great news. Death and the grave will be swallowed up. In the resurrection. Hey, wait a minute. I'm not sure I can go with you all the way on this preacher. I mean, we're still sinners. We are still broken humanity. Yes, we are. And Paul tells us about that in verse 56. Still got your Bible open? Look back with me. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But I want you to understand, because of what Jesus has done, sin and the law are lost on risen humanity. The standard of God's law has been replaced by God's amazing grace. Go back with me, if you will, in time. The law was given by God so that man might know and understand how to live in harmony with one another, and in a right relationship with our Creator. But history has proven time and time and time again that man does not know how to, is not capable of following the law and fulfilling God's directives. I have people tell me, well, preacher, I'm just trying to live by the Ten Commandments. You ever had somebody tell you that? Have y'all ever witnessed? If you have, praise God. If you haven't, get with it. If somebody tells you this, preacher, I'm just trying to follow the Ten Commandments. Ask them. Ask them this. Can you tell me what the Ten Commandments say? Most people might get three out of ten. They can't tell you the Ten Commandments. How can you keep the law if you don't know the law? How can you honor God's law if you don't even know what His law is? Can I just tell you something? It doesn't matter if you can sit and recite all ten in order and in sequence, and there probably are some in this room who can do that right now, but I want you to understand something. You're still not going to keep it. You're not going to keep it. You know how I know that? Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 tells me that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What that means is we don't obey God fully and completely. We violate His law. All of us. It does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're sitting here this morning saying, wait a minute, I'm born again. Praise God, you're born again. You're still a sinner. 
You may be sitting here saying, well, I don't believe in your God and I don't believe that that's his word. Okay, doesn't matter. You're still a sinner. He still is real. He still is God. This still is his word. And the fact that you deny it is not going to change the reality. And I will make a promise to you. One day, one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and you're going to be sorely disappointed because you wasted a lifetime and wasted a lot of breath denying the reality you're going to be looking at in the face. We all are sinners. None of us keep his law. So what's that got to do with what we're talking about today? Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. We're talking about death and resurrection. We're talking about death and the grave. The reason that man dies is because the wages of sin is death. We're all going to die because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, that's not what I want to hear. Not where I want to stop either, friend. I want you to understand something. I, I know that here's a reality. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner just as sure as everyone I'm looking at is a sinner. God says it, so it's the truth. And he tells us that because of our sin, there is a price tag attached. And that price tag is death. But I want to give you some good news. All right? In Romans 6.23, where it tells us that the wages of sin is death, it goes on to tell us this. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't want to leave us in that lost, sinful, dying condition. He wants to invite us into a new life that will provide for us one day a resurrection body. Now, if you're sitting here saying, I'm not sure I buy this. I'm just going to stick with the law. I want to give you a verse. You can write this verse down. You can just write down and go home and look it up. But it's Galatians 3.11. Galatians 3.11, and here's what it says. No one is justified before God by the law. So you can live by the law and do your best to keep the law, but my friend, you will not be finding salvation in the law. Why? Because there is no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. So wait a minute, that's narrow-minded. That's bigoted. That's not politically correct. I know. Can you believe what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Friend, there is no other way you're going to be saved. But I want you to know what Jesus did when he came was that he overcame sin and its wages. You see, God chose to let his son come, and he was perfect and sinless, but he took our sin upon himself. And when he went to the cross, he paid the price for my sin and your sin. And he suffered death for us, though he was undeserving of it in and of himself. And when he did that, he paid the price for my sin. Because of that, I can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. Even after Jesus suffered death. And I want to be perfectly clear. Because I know that the History Channel is full of hooey. Jesus died. Okay? He didn't swoon. He wasn't drugged. He didn't just pass out and get revived by his buddies when they got him off the cross. Jesus died. 
You say, well, how can you be so sure of that? I've told you before. Friends, when he was hanging on the cross and the Roman soldiers came to him, they didn't break his legs because they saw that he was already dead. Now, if you want to know who knew what death looked like, the Roman soldiers were the ones. They were masters of death in their day. And not only did they say, well, he's already dead, but they said, let's make sure. And so they took a spear and they ran it up through his rib cage and pierced his heart so that it looked as if blood and water flowed out together, mingled. Oh, listen, he was dead. And they took that body off the cross and they wrapped it and they took it and placed it in a borrowed tomb and sealed it up. And this is where the story gets really good. They counted the time. And early on the first Sunday morning, some ladies went to the tomb. It had been sealed up and stamped with the royal seal or with the official seal of the Roman government. But that seal was broken and the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And Jesus was alive. Say, well, how do you know that? Because they saw him. They talked to him. They heard him. He popped into the room and said, hi, guys, I'm back. It was real, and it is real. Jesus is alive. People say, how can you be so certain? Do you know when God repeats things, he wants to make sure we understand that we get it? Did you know that over 20 different times in the New Testament, you can read that God raised him from the dead? Over 20 different times. You go home and look it up. See if I'm lying to you. I'm not. Over 20 different times in the New Testament, it says God raised him from the dead. Why would he tell us that so many times? Because we're not real bright. We're not real sharp. We don't learn real quick. And so he keeps repeating it, hoping we will get it. And do you know why he wants us to get it? Because it is only if Jesus Christ is alive. It is only if the tomb is empty. It is only if we understand that life came forth from the grave and out of death that we experience our victory. Our victory. Now, I want, I want to spend a moment talking about this victory. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to look back at verse 57. Because this is one of the most amazingly wonderful verses you will find anywhere in the Word of God. Verse 57. I've preached this verse so many times. I love this verse. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. Now, I'm just going to stop there because I want you to understand something. Our victory is from God. It's not from us. Make no mistake, my friends. Our victory over sin, grave, death, it's not of our doing. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, they all have one point of origin, and we ain't it. It does not issue forth from us. It comes from God. That's why Paul writes it this way. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. This is not about our works. It's not about our goodness or our righteousness. It's not about our church membership or attendance. It's not about our giving or our going or our serving or our sharing. It's about our receiving 
from God the righteousness that he offers through Jesus Christ. Look again at that verse. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. Get this. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop. It doesn't say through our Lord Jesus Christ and. It says through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end of it. The victory that we long for. The life that we seek after. It's not found in ourselves. It is granted to us by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I've still got a few minutes. Cough drop's not gone yet. (laughs) Is it okay if I finish early? (laughs) All right, let's rock. I think it probably is. I want you to look one more time at verse 57 because I, I don't want you to miss the most important part of this. Before we walk out of here in a few moments, I want to make sure that you see, that you hear, that you understand the most important portion of this verse. We've already looked at it. We've already seen it. The problem is that so many times we become familiar with the Word of God and we just kind of shoot over the top of things and we don't pay attention to what it really says. And this morning I want us to take a moment and I want us to be certain we see what it says and that we understand that what we see, we know what it means. And so I want you to look again with me at verse 57. See this most important item. But thanks be to God... He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see it? Did you catch it? Some of you are nodding your head and some of you are looking at me like, huh? We already read that. Okay, look at your Bible. He gives us the victory through. Look at this. Our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, did you get it? Did you catch it that time? Our Lord, Jesus Christ. This victory is a gift from God for those who acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord. Oh, friends, listen to me. Don't don't dismiss what I'm saying to you this morning and, and don't ignore what I'm about to say. Hear my voice. Exercise some caution with your heart, with your life, and with your soul. God's gifts of forgiveness, victory over death and the grave, abundant life, eternal life, these are the gifts that God gives to those who come to Him in faith Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You have to come to Him in repentance through Jesus. I'm not talking about a mental acknowledgement. 
There, there are a lot of folks who say, well, yeah, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And what they're saying to you is, I've read enough history that, yeah, there was this guy a couple of thousand years ago that really caused a stir in and around Israel. Supposedly, he did some miracles. Supposedly, he was a great teacher, maybe a prophet. He was a good man. But he stirred up enough problems that eventually the authorities decided he needed to die and and they had him put to death. Yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. No, no, that's not enough. I'm not talking about mental acknowledgement. I'm talking about coming to him with a full admission and a confession that he is perfect and I'm a sinner. And that my only hope of being cleansed of my sin is to receive what he has offered through the offering up of his own life on my behalf. It means that I'm going to turn from the way that I've chosen to live my life up to this point, serving myself, meeting my own needs, satisfying my own flesh. I'm going to turn for that, and I'm going to learn His ways, and I'm going to walk in His ways, and I'm going to follow Him every day of my life. That's what it means. As a pastor, one of my greatest fears... One of my greatest fears is that somewhere along the way, I'm going to fail to make the message clear enough, plain enough, simple enough. That people are going to walk away and they're going to say to me, well, you know, Pastor, I heard you preach about Jesus and I I, I believe in Jesus. But has he changed your life? I've had people look at me and say, you know, I, I was saved when I was this age, but nothing really changed. I got a real simple answer. You weren't saved. Then, well, you can't say that. You don't know me. I don't have to know you. God knows you. And in his word, he says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are passed away and all things become new. What he's telling me is this, you're going to be changed. You're going to become something different. You're going to become something new. You're going to become something other than what you were before you knew Christ. And a lot of people, I think, today are sitting back and saying, well, that's just preacher talk, and and it really doesn't matter. It matters, friend. It matters more than you can ever begin to imagine. It matters because Jesus talked about it. In Matthew chapter 7, one of the most frightening passages of Scripture you will ever read in your life. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did did we not prophesy in your name and, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, ye evildoers. Two questions. Number one, do you know him? 
Number two, does he know you? The world tells us that there are many paths to heaven. The world lies. There is no other name given among men in heaven or on earth by which you must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Have you come to him in confession, repentance, and faith? If you have, you ought to be rejoicing in that. And you ought to be sharing it at every opportunity that you have because others need what you've got. But if you haven't, my friend, I plead with you this morning. Hear his voice. If the Spirit of God is calling to you, hear his voice. He loves you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants you to dwell eternally with him. I've had people look at me and say, Pastor, that can't be true. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I've been, the things I've been involved in, the things that I've done. Nobody knows but God, and He won't accept me because of that. No, you're wrong. His Word says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, He's given up on me. No. It's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here's the big, the big question that has to be answered. Are you still breathing this morning? Some of you I'm wondering right now. But my friend, if you're breathing, he's calling. Are you hearing? Hear his voice. Let's bow our heads together. I cannot preach the word of God and not give you the opportunity to respond. I cannot preach the word of God. I cannot call you and explain to you that you must come to him, that you must repent, that you must trust, that you must exercise faith. I can't, I can't preach that to you and not give you an opportunity to respond to that. And so this morning, I ask you to hear his voice. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. The choir's going to lead us in a, in a song. We're this morning, if you need to come to Jesus, I invite you to come to him. Run to him. Don't wait. Don't think about it. Don't give yourself time to, to decide whether or not someone else is going to think something about it. You do what he's calling you to do today. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, it may be simply you're realizing today, I need to be sharing what I've got. That's okay. Would you commit yourself today? Would you tell him, Father, you've saved me gloriously, wonderfully remade me. I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to share what you've done in my life. Just tell him. Commit yourself to it. Find a way to get engaged in ministry. Find a way to get involved in what God's doing. There are all kinds of opportunities. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Maybe you're looking for a place where you can connect and serve and and be used. What's he saying to you today? Hear his voice and obey him. Father, word, I thank you that you've given us victory through Jesus Christ. But now, Father, I look across this room and I I pray that if there's one here who is not in Christ, that you would call them to yourself. Father, in this moment, be glorified. Save the lost. Add to the body. Let rejoicing break out in the hearts and the lives in the midst of your people. Let the name of Jesus be exalted here and everywhere. Father, have your way. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.